Be still, my love, be still, by Entangled Now. A Gnomen's Podfic, read for you by Arkafira and George Stoner. Chapter 3 Aziraphale finds himself in an exceedingly good mood the morning after their kiss. While he busies himself making his usual cup of tea, he also admits to the vast, open space of the shop, and hopefully also to an attentive demon, that he was quite open to being kissed again, should Crowley wish such a thing. The soft admission sends a vibrating shudder through the stacks, somewhat reminiscent of the disturbance caused by heavy machinery. The quiet afterwards is pointed and carries the faint air of embarrassment, which Aziraphale can't help but find amusing. It seems so very genuine and honest, an unexpectedly human sort of reaction. It leaves him feeling rather brave. In fact, I would enjoy it immensely if you kissed me, Aziraphale adds. Whenever the urge takes you. Honestly, he has no one to blame but himself that his concentration is ruined for the rest of the day. He digs out some M.R. James and Algernon Blackwood to read to Crowley once the evening draws in, since the demon had shared that he was also a fan of the spooky ones. He leaves moments between the stories to offer his opinions, to discuss the characters and the settings, and to invite Crowley to regale him with his own thoughts once Aziraphale is a captive audience, so to speak. But he doesn't linger downstairs once it gets late. He pours Crowley a glass of wine, and even convinces himself to leave the lamp in the back room on for him. An action that would have been unthinkable before. But he's not alone in the shop anymore. Crowley would wake him if he needed to. He would wake him if anything happened. Between one and two in the morning, Aziraphale finds himself once more in the space somewhere between an awakening and sleep, with a demon looming over him, though he's not afraid in the slightest. It takes only seconds for Crowley's mouth to become a desperate flare of heat against his own. One slow press leading to another, and another, until Aziraphale fancied he could taste the strange, smoky flavor of the demon's mouth, until Crowley eventually gives a sigh against Aziraphale's cheek and eases away. I've been thinking about that all day, he says through a breathless smile, as if he'd worn himself thin, wanting it. Kisses become a regular thing, and Aziraphale can't help but indulge in the fact that they've clearly become something more than friends. That they have something new and intimate that thrills him whenever he thinks about it. Though he's still a touch too nervous to give it a name, yet. That doesn't mean he can't enjoy the opportunity to indulge Crowley the way he would with any other new partner. He finds himself buying wine for Crowley, stocking books for Crowley, noticing interesting things in his day to tell Crowley about later. Today, he'd neglected to open the shop on time in favor of acquiring exactly the right sort of temptation for the demon in his life. Crowley, I found some of those cinnamon biscuits you like. I shall leave them in the tin on the sideboard, 
and shan't judge you if you eat far too many of them, you wicked thing. Aziraphale? His name comes with the shadow of a figure to his left. Aziraphale flinches, startled, the bag he'd been half-dipping into jerking alarmingly in his grip. Who are you talking to? Anathema is a sudden, smiling shape at his shoulder, familiar and not at all unwelcome, simply unexpected, this early in the morning. She is, as always, put together to an enviable degree. Her dark shirt and waistcoat neatly buttoned, hair pinned atop her head, glasses perfectly suited to her face. Something Aziraphale could never quite manage, no matter how many pairs he tried on. She's balanced on the steps behind him, the hem of her long skirt almost brushing one of them, though she doesn't seem to care. Anathema, I didn't see you there. Good heavens, you scared the life out of me. Sorry. She smiles and gently settles a hand on his arm. Once he's moving again, she eases in behind him. Thought I'd pop over and say hi, since I haven't seen you in a while. Unless I'm disturbing something? Her expression tells him that she clearly hopes she was disturbing something, that there was something to disturb. You were talking to someone. Is someone else here? There's an interested lilt to her voice that sounds almost pleased, which suggests his own tone of voice had been far too affectionate to be dismissed as merely friendly. Oh, well, no. He flails briefly for some sort of explanation, since the truth is obviously out of the question. I mean, not anymore, clearly. He must have left. What a shame. He tries for an apologetic smile. Her own smile turns into something positively indecent. He supposes he deserves that. Deception has never been his strong suit. If you brought him biscuits, then it definitely is, she decides. I didn't know you were seeing someone. Anathema looks tentatively hopeful at the words. He can't help but find that a touch irritating, as if his ability to form romantic entanglements has been withering on the vine. But how is Aziraphale supposed to explain? How is he supposed to tell her that the object of his affection is a demon that he can't even reach out and touch? A demon he's been meeting intimately in the spaces in the night when he's somewhere between awake and asleep. Because his... his intimate partner paralyzes him with his very presence. How is he supposed to tell her that Crowley has seeped himself into the very walls of this place and Aziraphale has made him welcome. He can't. Obviously, he can't tell her any of that. Even if she did believe him, he doubts she would be supportive of Crowley's presence in his life. Oh, it's not really... I'm not seeing him, obviously. Which is absolutely true at this moment in time, because he's currently tucked into another plane of existence. He's just someone with... Similar interests. Not really anything. Nothing like that. A friend. He's expecting the brief flash of disappointment, though the touch of fondness beneath it does a lot to soothe the sting, before Anathema shakes her head and adjusts her glasses. But someone that might become something, maybe. I know you've been... Desperately lonely, the words seem to hang in the air, both of them refusing to say them aloud. Aziraphale is grateful for that, at least. 
And I know you would like to get to know someone first, but it's been more than a year since you've even tried to see anyone socially or romantically. Yes, and the way it turned out rather put me off the whole thing, Aziraphale admits. The memory still stings enough that he can be honest about it without fear of offending her, because that was an altogether humiliating experience, one she, admittedly, had accepted most of the responsibility for. Anathema winces. I am sorry about Gabriel. I honestly didn't know he was so... She pulls a face that Aziraphale isn't sure entirely encapsulates all the things Gabriel was in their very brief and disastrous attempt at a date. We weren't really friends yet, properly. I know you better now. I like to think I do, at least. Anyway, I absolutely learned my lesson there. So if you're still available, well... I was recently introduced to Martin, who isn't quite as handsome, but he's kind. He's a vet, and he likes to read. A table against the far wall chooses that exact moment to mysteriously tip over, spraying a collection of 19th-century cookbooks across the floor. Oh, Christ! Anathema jumps, then breathes a laugh at her own reaction. My fault entirely, Aziraphale says easily, staring very hard at the untidy tumble of books. I normally stack them more carefully, but I've had a lot to go through recently. He very pointedly doesn't look up towards the stacks, where he fancies he can hear the faintest slithering trail of hair. The new bookshelves came up much better than I thought they would, Anathema says kindly, but there's an honesty there too. Aziraphale nods. They did. You know how worried I was that they look out of place, but now that they're filled... They're a much closer match to the originals than I expected, though they don't smell the same. He's expecting a certain amount of amused teasing after the last confession, but Anathema simply nods. Smell is where all the most powerful memories live, she agrees. It has to be more than a little disconcerting to be in a familiar place with familiar things, but to have it just not feel right. To be constantly reminded that something's different, which just reminds you of the reason why, all over again. Aziraphale exhales a grateful breath and nods. This, he thinks, this is why he likes spending time with Anathema. She understands the things he always feels so stupid trying to explain. I suppose I'll get used to it, he tells her. And if there's a question mark at the end of that sentence, then she won't judge him for that either. She clearly senses that he'd quite like to change the subject, though, which is absolutely true. He hasn't had nearly enough to drink to brace himself for talking about the repairs, for talking about what he'd lost. Now, Anathema nods, as if remembering something important, I believe you promised me cake the last time I was here. The assumption being, of course, that he always has cake in the kitchen somewhere. He'd probably be more put out if the assumption wasn't absolutely correct, though he'd discovered recently that Crowley has something of a sweet tooth as well, so there's been rather more of it in the kitchen than usual. Did I? That doesn't sound like me. Aziraphale feigns forgetfulness, just to see her smile. You can't promise someone cake and then renege on the deal, Aziraphale, she says firmly. That does seem deeply unfair of him. He concedes that she is indeed owed cake and waves her deeper inside. Anathema follows with a laugh, 
but at least think about what I said, she continues. You can't wait for someone to fall into your lap. If you're looking for a relationship, then you have to at least be willing to be open to the idea of meeting someone new. Whether that's your mysterious new friend or Martin, whose number I will leave somewhere in an unsubtle fashion with no pressure attached. The bell jangles, sharp and angry, behind them. They both turn to look at the firmly closed door. I really must get that fixed, Aziraphale murmurs, entirely for show. I think the screws are loose. Anathema frowns, seemingly unwilling to dismiss it so easily. Aziraphale reminds himself that she is a practicing witch, and if anyone can spot whatever telltale signs a building has when a demon infests the place as deeply as Crowley must have done, well, if anyone can, then surely she can. Is everything all right in here, Aziraphale? She asks, a careful sort of gentleness in her voice. Nothing odd bothering you about the place? You seem a little... She doesn't elaborate on exactly what he seems, but he feels she's leaving space there for a reply, so he takes it. He fixes a smile on his face, that he hopes looks genuine, and shakes his head. No, not at all. It's just been very busy lately. No time to see to minor annoyances, and there are all the books still to be repaired and shelved. Place smells a touch mustier because of it, as you can imagine. He decides not to mention the way the air still smells vaguely of charred paper to him, too. She'll probably consider that progress. And of course, I'm still finding things that don't sit quite the way they used to. It feels cruel to play on her feelings as a distraction, but whatever suspicion had been creeping beneath her question seems to be pushed aside in favor of sympathy. The place looks great, though. They really did amazing work. They did, he agrees, relieved that this he can be honest about. Far better than I feared at the start. I couldn't imagine how it would ever look the same again, but... Well, it is a surprise. He nods again, happy to have managed so much without it touching anywhere painful. He's had quite enough unexpected bouts of crying in front of other people in the last year. He extends an arm to gesture her into the back. Discounting the occasional customer, it's been almost three weeks since he's had a proper conversation with someone he could offer words back and forth with, a thought which leaves him more than a little pained. He's surprised by how much he relishes the opportunity to converse with someone he knows. You must have some tea while you're here, too. Let me just put away my shopping. Except the cinnamon biscuits, which you're saving for your friend? Honestly, it's like she can't help herself. Except for those. He agrees, and he decides to hell with it. He lets himself smile. Anathema laughs and moves ahead of him into the small kitchen area, boots lifting to carefully avoid the various piles of books he'd set down as he worked, and the large mess that had fallen due to someone's rather obvious petulance. Jealous thing. Aziraphale mutters as he passes the pile, only half chastising. He won't pretend that the thought doesn't warm him. Just a touch. Eventually, he's alone in the shop again, watching the slow movement of pedestrians passing outside, 
while dust falls near silently through the streams of sunlight. He feels impossibly content. He can't remember the last time he'd been so relaxed, so willing to let the world slowly move around him, without feeling the ever-present heavy ache of loneliness or despair. Though there is still a petulant air to Crowley's movements through the shop, solidified after Anathema's not-so-subtle suggestion that he should give her friend Martin a call, which, quite frankly, he would have found horrendously awkward even if he had been both free and willing to entertain the idea. You shouldn't blame Anathema, he says, over a glass of white wine, settling the book he'd been reading against his chest. She dislikes the thought of me being alone here, especially after everything that happened. I think she has an idea in her head of me at night haunting my bookshop like some Victorian ghost, dwelling in lonely misery, which I believe she finds upsetting so I can't really fault her for the occasional not-so-subtle offer to find me someone I might like to spend time with, or who I would find bearable for longer than a brief dinner. Not always romantically, either. She thinks I should go on more outings, widen my circle of friends. He makes a short, amused noise. Which at the moment is more of a very small line of friends. Though I don't know why on earth she decided Gabriel would be an appropriate choice. The shelf at the back makes a steady, thumping noise, as if Crowley had shifted position. Aziraphale imagines something in the manner of a moody slouch. You are the only one I wish to be intimate with, Crowley, he says quietly. And I think I have my hands full with you already. The words cut off as he realizes that that's the one thing he doesn't have, that he can never have. He'll never put his hands on Crowley, never touch him, never tip his head up to kiss, never laugh at his terrible jokes, never pass him a book, or pull his hands through his hair, or do anything lovers can do. He finds himself hoping that Crowley didn't catch the unfortunate phrasing, but the abrupt silence from both the stacks and the back room, the empty feeling to the main area, leaves him certain that he did. Damn it! he mutters, sets down the book he was holding with a thump. Aziraphale shuts the shop up early. It won't be the first time he's weathered complaints about that, but honestly, who finds themselves desperately needing a book at four in the afternoon anyway? How could that possibly ever be a matter of life and death? He has a late dinner, reads until his eyes refuse to stay open for an entire page then takes himself to bed. He'd been hoping, but not really expecting, that Crowley would visit him after he'd blundered his way over a sore spot to the both of them, but he feels like his eyes have barely been closed for an hour or two before he's staring, wide awake, down his own body, where the blankets have fallen away from his chest and stomach. Crowley has already made himself at home on the bed, body curving astride the sprawl of one of Aziraphale's thighs. The demon has slipped an overly warm hand beneath his t-shirt, pressing it to his bare skin. He's rarely so bold, mostly keeping his hands to himself, as if he thinks he's not allowed, and Aziraphale's whole body itches to press into the contact to lay his own hand over it. It's a surprising but by no means unwelcome intimacy. You're right. I can't even hide up for it, Crowley says fiercely. 
He's watching his hand, the curve of his wrist under fabric, rather than Aziraphale's face, expression hidden behind a curtain of hair. She cares about you and you deserve to be cared for. You deserve someone's attention. There's an angry noise, and Crowley's head tips enough for Aziraphale to catch a flash of one gleaming eye. Yellow stretches the whole length of it, flecked and speckled with motes of darkness, the pupil impossibly thin. She has enough to find you a lover. Crowley stops, as if the word hurts more coming out than he thought it would. Someone human, someone you can kiss back, someone you can spend your nights with. There's a bite to the words, and Aziraphale suspects the thought has been bothering him all day. Has she done that, Aziraphale? He asks curiously. Has she found you a lover? He stops, hisses quietly. I know I shouldn't ask, I know it's personal and you don't have to answer, but you told me I could ask you anything, that wanting to know things wasn't wrong. That's the only question I have now, going around in my head over and over. I wonder if you brought any of them home, if any of them pleased you. Crowley looks at him, as if hoping to find the answer in his face. Aziraphale wishes most dearly that he could frown, that he could ease that frantic desperation thrumming through Crowley, that he could protest that he's perfectly happy with the lover he has. At least, he hopes that's how Crowley considers himself. The way he kisses Aziraphale always feels eager, always pulls soft noises from Crowley's throat like he never wants to stop. But he makes no overtures, he takes nothing for himself. Perhaps that will not be true tonight, though, because there's a taut, frayed sort of need to Crowley as he unfolds upwards and then sinks into Aziraphale's body, presses a kiss to his soft mouth. The quiet sound of a moan dragged away instantly. He searches for something in Aziraphale's eyes, seems frustrated when he doesn't find it. Did you touch any of them? Put your hands on them? The jealousy is easy to read in the words, the quiet, yearning bite of it. Crowley's hand slips out from under his clothes, finds Aziraphale's own hand, resting still in the sheets, and briefly tangles their fingers together. Did you put your hands on them? What noises did you make for them? He sounds so pained, as if he hates himself for wanting to know. Aziraphale wonders if Crowley would be disappointed to learn that none of his dinners or drinks with any of Anathema's friends had gone beyond a rather polite exchange of, must do this again, and lovely to meet you. Aziraphale has not had a lover for years. There is nothing for the demon to be jealous of, but he cannot tell him that. Crowley slips down his body again, fingertips daring to push under the material of his shirt again, to press into his skin with a quiet noise that sounds hungry, that sets his earfell's pulse hammering. He's hardening in his underwear, he can feel the weight of it, the way the velvet soft skin twitches and shifts. It's not the first time Crowley's kisses have affected him physically, but it's the first time Crowley has pressed into it, the first time he's acknowledged Aziraphale's desire, the first time his own has been so blatant. Crowley's obvious, hungry attention leaves a warm, hot tangle of arousal clenching inside him. Would you make noises for me? Crowley asks, though it's much softer, lacking the bite from before. It sounds almost desperate. As many as you wanted. 
Aziraphale thinks deliriously. Darling, you have no competition. You couldn't have. You are exquisite. The demon's long hands catch his hips as he slithers downwards, the movement deeply suggestive, his destination quickly obvious. Crowley hasn't touched him this intimately yet, nothing more than a few lovely, over-enthusiastic kisses that Aziraphale has always hated the fact he couldn't take part in. A few presses of Crowley's spare weight to Aziraphale's chest or side that are a brief but blissful suggestion of further intimacy. Crowley has certainly never touched him like this, has been very careful not to suggest anything so obviously sexual. Aziraphale simply hadn't known how to give permission, how to encourage him. Crowley had reacted so badly the last time Aziraphale had admitted to being open to touch, to physical affection. The thought of Crowley's reaction if he were any more honest about what he wanted, about what he'd imagine, the things he would let Crowley do to him, he's not sure he could confess to half of it out loud. Crowley sighs, and the flow of air washes over his clothed erection in a rush of pleasure. Aziraphale can feel it, but he can't react to it in any way. But then that head full of rust-red hair is sinking, settling on the curve of his stomach where Crowley peers up at him with piercing eyes. I want you to dream of me, he says into the soft give of his skin, the tone of his voice far more pleading than the words. Me. And no one else. I already do, Aziraphale wants to tell him. You have no idea. You're that greedy. Is that wrong of me? Crowley's eyes lift, yellow gold in the dark, to hold his own. And then long, sharp-nailed hands slip carefully into Aziraphale's underwear, drawing them slowly down his thighs and off. It's the first time Crowley has seen him naked, the first time he's been naked in bed with him, and Aziraphale's blood rushes beneath his skin, aroused beyond measure, alive with it, for all that he's as languid and pliant as a doll. He's so obviously exposed like this, cock stiff and heavy with arousal, flushed red where it sits against his stomach, a lewd display he has no control over and finds unexpectedly appealing. Crowley makes a low, wounded noise in his throat, hands gliding down to touch his spread thighs, to dig his fingers in, and Aziraphale can see the dark flicker of a tongue from his narrow mouth. There's a pause, tense as a wire. Keep your eyes open, Angel, Crowley says sharply, shakily, or I shall stop. It sounds like a threat, but there's a desperate sort of urgency to it, a promise that he will stop, that he'll stop if Aziraphale doesn't want this. When Aziraphale does nothing but stare down at him, Crowley shifts closer. He touches him, circles the solid warmth of his cock with his fingers, which are so careful on his sensitive flesh, learning the shape of him before squeezing gently. Aziraphale is certain he's incapable of being any more aroused, at being unexpectedly touched by Crowley for the first time, at being eased slowly upright as Crowley leans in, his mouth opening to expose the slick wet interior with its sharp white teeth. And then Aziraphale is sliding inside, stretching Crowley's mouth open as the demon draws him in, all slippery heat and a curling press of tongue that isn't entirely human. 
Its touch twists and flutters repeatedly over the head of Aziraphale's cock, in delicious rasps of sensation. Aziraphale feels himself twitch helplessly in reaction, the startling sudden movement almost entirely involuntary, and Crowley gives a low, shaky moan, as if Aziraphale had done it on purpose, as if it's encouragement to continue. Aziraphale is happy that at least part of him can make its appreciation of the demon's touch known. His thoughts scatter completely when Crowley dips his head, pulling him deep before letting him almost slide free, then sucking in slow, gentle pulls. Aziraphale can do nothing at all but take it, lay in a wash of sensation under it, endure it while his insides boil. He can't share anything of his bliss, save the way he leaves pre-cum across the demon's forked tongue. The rhythm is choppy and unpredictable, which lends the whole thing a ragged, filthy sort of urgency. It's been such a long time since anyone has touched him like this, and Aziraphale wants it, he wants it so desperately he forgets how to breathe. Everything in him tells him to reach out, to touch Crowley, to press his hips into that slow, sucking warmth. But he's caught fast like an insect in amber, watching the deliciously lewd bob of Crowley's head, the desperate clutch of his sharp hands and the fabric of Aziraphale's shirt, the way his quiet noises of pleasure shudder through his skin. It's unpracticed, more indulgence than skill, but Crowley's enjoying it, that's obvious enough. Which is enough to leave Aziraphale's whole body feeling raw and sensitive, to leave him squirming desperately inside, while the tightening heat of impending orgasm spreads quickly outwards. There's no way to hold it back, no way to chase it, just the slick attention of Crowley's exquisite mouth the slow pulls of suction, and the rough slides that push him in deep, the constant flick of sharp eyes that hold his own, leaving him wishing desperately that he could moan Crowley's name, press up with his hips, wind fingers through the demon's glorious hair, touch his face, tell him he's beautiful, tell him he's close, that he's going to come, it's all so much, and he's in control of none of it. Until Crowley is sinking to the base, nudging him in through the tightness of his throat, and his ear fails orgasm is wrenched out of him before he's even aware that he's reached the edge. Crowley stills, as if in surprise, as his ear fell pulses down his throat and across the back of his tongue, before his eyes drift shut and he simply holds his ear fell inside, until he starts to soften. Only then does he draw free, slowly release him. His lower lip is wet and red, and there's a smear of saliva on his chin, a line of hair stuck to his cheek. He looks erotic and disheveled and sharply real and Aziraphale desperately wants to know if he's aroused as well, if he found anything in the way of pleasure for himself in the act, if this is something he wants from him, because Aziraphale would be more than happy with that. But instead of moving up the bed, instead of touching him, kissing him, as Aziraphale expects him to, instead, the demon simply looks horrified, where he's settled awkwardly between Aziraphale's cooling thighs. I shouldn't have done that. Crowley's voice is a rough choke of air, mouth curling in misery. I shouldn't have done that to you, I'm sorry. 
The soft, fuzzy bliss of orgasm makes it hard to understand what Crowley means for a confusing second. I was jealous and angry and I wanted it, Crowley says, and it sounds like an accusation. And I took it without asking you first, without knowing if it was something you even wanted from me. Crowley stares at the sheet he'd pushed hastily down the bed in his eagerness to see him to better fit himself between Aziraphale's thighs, and he makes a disgusted noise. He stretches out of the space, draws the sheet and blanket up to Aziraphale's waist to cover his limp, damp cock and warm, trembling skin, before drawing away again, as if burned. Then Crowley pushes his way back off the bed, the floor creaking beneath his bare feet. Aziraphale tries desperately to get the demon to look at him, but he won't. He's entirely lost in his own self-recrimination, much to Aziraphale's quiet horror. This makes me no better than a fucking incubus, Crowley says miserably. No better than one of those savages that sneaks into people's rooms at night and forces themselves on sleeping humans to drain their essence and their energy. I thought I was better than that, but I'm not, Angel. He winces, as if he doesn't think he deserves to call him that anymore. Uh, Zerophile, I have no excuses. I won't make any excuses. I did it. I was selfish and I did it. He still won't look at Aziraphale, as if he's terrified of what he'll see, shuffling backwards into the dark as if he's trying to physically remove himself from the room. He has his hands buried in his own hair like he's trying to stop it moving, and Aziraphale doesn't know what that means, but he knows that Crowley has it all wrong. It wasn't like that. If Crowley would just look at him, if he'd just let Aziraphale reassure him that it's all right... Damn it. He's never felt so powerless to stop something awful happening before. Crowley, darling, please don't do this. Crowley has retreated all the way to the mess of books in the corner, half in darkness. A haunting recreation of that first night he came to Aziraphale's room, pining for his company but too afraid to come close, too afraid to touch. That was where he's always belonged, after all, in the darkness. Crowley, you gave me so much already, I should have. The words are dragging painfully out of Crowley now, a hiss at the edges. I should have stopped myself, I should have been better, but I'm a greedy, worthless demon just like I told you, just like I always told you. Everything I thought I was... I don't deserve. The room darkens, then brightens abruptly, and Aziraphale finds himself alone and hopelessly tangled in the sheets, as if he'd thrashed all night trying to make Crowley stay. The sun is streaming rather rudely through the window, telling him that it's a lot later than expected. Damn it, Crowley! He says desperately, all the words he should have been able to say burning in his throat. throat. 